for joining in online. We are in Job chapter 19. Tonight is From Pit to Pinnacle, or What I Do Know I Like. That's two titles, What I Do Know I Like. Job said, How long will you vex my soul and break me in pieces with words? These ten times have you reproached me. Ye are not, much, ye are not ashamed that ye you make yourselves strange to me. And be it indeed that I have erred, mine error remaineth with myself. If indeed you will magnify yourselves against me and plead against me, my reproach, know now that God hath overthrown me and hath compassed me with his net. Behold, I cry out of wrong, but I am not heard. I cry aloud, but there is no judgment. He hath fenced me up my way, fenced up my way that I cannot pass, and he hath set darkness in my paths. He hath stripped me of my glory and taken the crown from my head. He hath destroyed me on every side, and I am gone, and mine hope hath he removed like a tree. He hath also kindled his wrath against me, and he hath counted me unto me and him as one of his enemies. His troops come together and raise up their way against me and encamp round about my tabernacle. He hath put my brethren far from me, and mine acquaintance are verily estranged from me. My kinsfolk, kinsfolk have failed, and my familiar friends have forgotten me. They that dwell in mine house and my maids count me for a stranger. I am alien in their sight. I called my servant and he gave me no answer. I entreated him with my mouth. My breath is strange to my wife. Though I entreated for the children's sake of mine own body, yea, young children despised me. I arose and they spake against me. All my inward friends abhorred me, and they whom I loved are turned against me. My bone cleaveth to my skin and to my flesh, and I am escaped with the skin of my teeth. Have pity on me, have pity upon me, O ye my friends, for the hand of God hath touched me. Why do ye persecute me as God, and are not satisfied with my flesh? Turning point. Oh, that my words were now written. Oh, that they were printed in a book. That they were graven with an iron pen and lead in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer liveth. And that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. But ye say, Why persecute we him, seeing the root of the matter is found in me? Be ye afraid of the sword, for wrath bringeth the punishment of the sword, that ye may know there is a judgment. May the Lord's blessing to the reading of his word. There was a long climb up, and then we had that peak, about four verses, and then by the end we're just back down to the last two verses, discouragement again. Let's pray. Lord, it is a, it is a terribly difficult book to preach. It is a wonderful God about whom, I don't mean to say it derogatory, it is a wonderful God about whom Job speaks, but Lord, it is difficult uh, for us. We're, we're not Hebrew. I'm not a poet. Never cared much for poetry. I love your word, though. I love your Bible. And it would help me this evening that I would say nothing amiss. May I be hidden behind the truths found therein. And Lord, if we cannot preach on those few verses there toward the end, we are just bereft of any knowledge because we are thankful that our Redeemer lives. May you help me this evening. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
It's interesting, there, there's a gloom. One pastor says, Alan Carr says that he believes this is the, the turning point for Job, this chapter. Certainly, the chapter starts out so discouragingly, if that is a word. We see in verse 2, how long will you vex my soul and break me in pieces with words? These ten times have you reproached me and you are not ashamed that you make yourself strange to me. He's not indignant. I think Job is crushed. And you can imagine his friends have turned against him. I would be kind of disheartening when those you counted on the most have turned against you. We find it, 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 uh, it's, he's, if he's committed some secret sin worthy of all the suffering, it remains a secret. They certainly have not produced any evidence of his transgression, and there were none as far as we know, certainly. Verse 4, and it be indeed that if I have erred, mine error remaineth in myself. Verse 5 and 6, if you would, it says, if indeed you will magnify yourselves against me and plead against me my reproach, know now that God hath overthrown me and hath compassed me with his net. Paraphrase might be this, you keep pressing your case and insisting that my calamity proves that I have wronged God. If you want to argue circumstantial evidence, then I submit that God has wronged me. Now, what, how does Job, it's sort of like a goad. They've, they've goaded Job into responding in kind. So they have been quite verbally affrontage, if you would, affront to Job. And so they are, uh, they are responding in kind. And so now Job responds in kind. If you're listening online, we are in Job chapter 19. The pastor forgot to turn that on until just now. So you missed about the first page of the sermon, Job chapter 19, if you would there, please, talking about Job from the pit to the pinnacle. It goaded him into responding. Uh, one man, his language is audacious, but on the old theory of retribution, it was the only logical conclusion from the given premises. So the premise is you're suffering because you've done bad, but Job knows better. So it gets, you're just sometimes getting tired of, of just something just like, or just, you just got to let it out sometimes. We think that we probably shouldn't, but we, sometimes after all this harping, et cetera, you got to respond. If they're going to insist that God does this kind of a thing only to the wicked, then he says God has perverted justice, and he, well, it says right there, verse 6, says he hath put me in, he compassed me with his net. His friends hound him to the extreme. They think their theology is complete, and there's no other explanation for Job's suffering but that Job is sinned, and I'm guessing sinned mightily to have all the bad things happen to him. They feel competent to evaluate not only his meaning of Job's circumstances, but the condition of Job's heart. Now, we sometimes call that profiling today. I, my wife played about a week or two ago a, a, a pastor who said, no, I'm not profiling, I'm just diagnosing the problem. So I'm diagnosing the problem. And so there we are. They think they're diagnosing Job's problem. Job says God has trapped him uh, in, in his net. Over in Africa, they will, they will get two trees, from what I understand. Never been to Africa yet, but they have two trees, and they'll put a, a net between them, and they'll cover it with branches, and then they... They scare the antelope, and they herd them between those two trees, and they get caught in the net, and they're able to be captured, helplessly entangled in the net. Job says, know now that God hath overthrown me, and that, and that compassed me with his net. Verse 7, behold, I cry out of wrong, but I am not heard. I cry aloud, but there is no judgment. They have fenced up the way that I cannot pass, and he has set darkness in my paths. He has stripped me of my glory and taken the crown from my head. He understands the calamity from comes from God. Verse 10, he hath destroyed me on every side, and I am gone. Mine hope hath he removed like a tree. 
Verse 11, he hath also kindled his wrath against me, and he, he com, com, uh, counteth me unto him as one of his enemies. It's hardly a fair fight. God is going to win. Job's, God's troops surround him, he says, build up their ramparts against him, lay siege to Job's tent, verse 12. His troops come together and raise up their way against me and encamp around my tabernacle. Isn't it interesting that mankind thinks they're going to somehow stand against God? And we're going to have a, probably a message or two or three on, on climate change. And there's the, a Gaianism is the worship of the earth. And they're worshiping the earth as an entity. And we are just the non-essential people living on the earth. But the earth is the, is the cat's meow. Can you tell what the Bible says in Psalms? The earth is the Lord's footstool. And mankind thinks that somehow they're going to stand against a God whose earth itself is his footstool? The audacity of man. It makes you want to, to chuckle sometimes. Job stresses the absurdity now of this divine overkill in the text. Uh, in, verse, in chapter 7, verse 12, he, chapter 7, verse 12, he also mentions back over there, 7, verse 12, he says for us here, Am I a sea or a whale that thou settest a watch over me? How about 1325? 1325, it says for us here, Wilt thou break a leaf driven to and fro? And wilt thou pursue thy dry stubble? Why does Joe, I'm nothing. Why is God so bent on, if you would, use our phraseology, on destroying me or causing this distress? Now remember, though, Job has not read chapters 1 and 2. So Job is looking this only from the God that he has worshipped and had such an intimate, close relationship with, and now that God seemingly has turned against him, well, he certainly God has allowed Satan to test him sorely. The desolation, you see the desolation, we read him earlier in chapter 19, 13 to 20. He's utterly alone, he's ostracized, forsaken by man, and it seems forsaken by God. Out of the isolation drifts this pathetic cry in 21, have pity upon me. Have pity upon me. I'm telling you, if you're one of those three friends, and Job in his emaciated, struggling condition, and he says, have pity, surely their hearts went out to Job. Surely they would have. Wouldn't yours have gone out to Job? I would think it would have. Yes. Our hearts go out to Job and we're 2,000, 4,000 years removed. And hearts, our hearts go out to Job. You find that God himself then is on his, on his trail, if you would, chasing him 22. Why do you persecute me as God and are not satisfied with my flesh? Suddenly, inexplicably, out of this dismal pit of isolation, Job's soul finds this magnificent soaring. So we have from the pit to the pinnacle a magnificent burst of faith, this transition from the slew of despond, if you would, to the summit of expectation, confident expectation, is occasioned by a, a request that was actually granted. Verse 23. All that my words were now written, all that they were printed in a book, that they were graven with an iron pen and led in the rock forever. He had an answer. Why do you say that, Pastor? Because you're reading them right now. I mean, they're written, and the Word of God is going to be forever, right? Stands forever. Job's words, even better than writing in a rock, which will one day be burned. In Second Peter, we have his Word of God for eternity. He longed for his words of woe to be etched into granite, so people throughout time could enter into the things that he was enduring. He thought his words would be forgotten. Do you remember back, uh, you don't remember, you weren't alive, 
with the 16th president, November 1863. He stood at Gettysburg. From what I understand, when he gave his speech, there were still bloated bodies of the, of the Civil War deaths across the field at Gettysburg. And he had a speech that he wrote in his own hand. Did you have to memorize that in the seventh grade? Anybody else in the seventh grade? Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth upon this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to proposition. All men are created equal. That's the first part. A little bit later, he says these words, a world will little, the world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. I'm t- it's just the opposite, though. I don't know all the intricacies. Uh, we're going to Pennsylvania this week. I don't think we're going through Gettysburg. I don't know all the intricacies of how many people lost their lives. It's horrendous when you think about the cost of lives in the Civil War. But I'm telling you, we long remember what his speech was. He, he may not have thought it's going to have a lasting impact. I'm telling you, that's the only thing I can remember from seventh grade, other than almost getting worn out in front of the whole class. I remember that too. But I remember we had to, every single person had to stand up and give that speech from memory. I'm glad others had to do that too. It wasn't just me. The spanking part you didn't have to do, but the memory, that's good for us all, I reckon. We're, we're unable to remember those things, but think about this. Job's words are right in with Genesis 1, Psalm 23, Romans 8, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, Revelation 22. You pick a chapter you want. Job's words are right in there with those monumental texts of the Bible. So when life is rough and you feel defeated, there are some sure facts, I'm telling you, that can give us some encouragement. That's what I want to do in the rest of the message. That hopefully, it will be an encouragement to us. I don't know everything there is going to happen when I leave this world. I don't know everything that God has planned. But what I know of, I like. What I know of, I like. Virtually everyone says Talbert agrees that this Job nineteen twenty five to twenty seven is not only notoriously difficult to translate, let alone interpret, but it's also of crucial importance. Shall we read those verses together? If you'll follow along, I'll read them. You follow. For I know, 25, that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself. And mine eyes shall behold and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Now, be careful. Let's not carry all of our baggage into what Job knew. Some would go so far to say on the negative side, some scholars carry these verses, that uh, they carry their unbelief into them and say, well, there's nothing really suggests any anticipation of the resurrection in here. One man says you cannot refer to Job seeing God after his body decays. And the notion of resurrection adduced from this passage, one man says, is older view that has been rightly surrendered by modern scholars. Those are the naysayers, the unbelievers. And on the other hand, no can we hear, now I hear it. I know that my redeem beautiful aria, soprano aria from the Messiah. I can hear it now. But Job does not know all we know. So let's not automatically assume everything we, when we read that, that what the words are is how I take them, and that's how Job was understanding. We just know so much more than Job knew. Now the words are magnificent. But if we take what we think they say, we're going to be guilty of eisegesis. 
which is reading into the text. We teach and believe what's called exegesis. We allow the text to say what it says for itself. There's a lot of eisegesis going around across the world. You can just turn on the radio any, any given day, listen to any a lot of podcasts. You're going to hear eisegesis making it say what they want. Jehovah's Witness will eisegete, if you would, John 1 1. In the beginning was God, and the, in the beginning was God, and the word was with in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was a God. Now that's how they would eisegete that instead of the definitive article, the word was the God. So be careful about that. But anyway, we want to get back to this beautiful. Out of the bolt out of the blue, Job gives this wonderful text. So we have four things. First of all, I know what I know about I know my Redeemer liveth. And we have a personal knowledge. I know that my Redeemer liveth twenty-five, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. A personal knowledge. For I know. And in my flesh shall I see God. Job's ardent expectation of seeing God with his own eyes is, is so clear. Anderson says in these verses, they're so tightly knit with 26 and 27, there should be no doubt the Redeemer is God. But when will this vision of the Redeemer God take place, he asks, to insist that Job expects to experience this vindicating vision prior to his death counters everything that he has said up to this point and everything he says after it. He anticipates no reversal or restoration or vindication of his life. He waits only for death, and there would be no need for Job to deposit a written testimony if he expects to be vindicated before he dies. He doesn't. So we want, he wants someone to know what he's gone through, and he wants someone to hear that his Redeemer lives, because he's not expecting to be vindicated before he dies. He expects to die, and then people understand and to hear what he has said. He specifies that you see God after his skin has been destroyed. Emphatic insistence that he himself will see God with his own eyes leaves us only with really one option, says one commentator. He's speaking of the resurrection. Derek Kidner says it begins to appear that however fitfully and dimly he perceives it, he is speaking here of nothing less than resurrection, Gleason Archer says. And so here we have the doctrine of bodily resurrection implied even in the first written book of the Old Testament, if you're going to do chronologically age-wise. One question remains, is it clear, is it clear that Job's Redeemer is the one other than God... None other, is it he, one none other than God himself? Is he a reference to the Messiah? Is that what Job is saying? Did Job possess this con- uh, conscious conception of God as the Messiah? Well, that would be pushing, uh, really pushing the envelope a bit, I think. The clues would be sparse and they're tenuous. Nevertheless, the New Testament's explanation that Job's words foreshadow more than he himself understood are clear. If you want to turn over with me, please, if you can, to 1 Peter chapter 1. What does Peter say regarding the prophets of old time. 1 Peter 1, 10, 11 and 12. 1 Peter 1, 10, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what matter of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Whom, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost, sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. I know that my Redeemer lives. Now, this is not a specific title of deity per se, perhaps here. 
might be. But it's not an insignificant title for God because it reminds us of the what redeemer in Ruth, the kinsman redeemer. Dr. Michael Barrett says in a book called Beginning at Moses, Guide to Finding Christ in the Old Testament, he says these words, This word assumes a relationship between the Redeemer and the redeemed. The word assumes that the goel, that's the Hebrew word, will perform the appropriate action to alleviate the needs of those with whom he has a relationship. In fact, the goel, the Redeemer, is under obligation because of the relationship to do whatever is necessary. The point is that whether paying a debt, freeing from slavery, reclaiming property for the family inheritance, or avenging death, the Goel, the Redeemer, did whatever was necessary to meet the need of his relatives. All of this reaches its zenith when applied to the Messiah. Christ is for his people the idea, ideal Goel or kinsman Redeemer. He never fails to fulfill his obligation. We may say his covenant duty in behalf of those with whom he is related by virtue of that covenant. Man needs to be delivered from sin. Christ delivers from sin. He does so on the basis of a covenant relationship. That is the Goel, the kinsman redeemer work. But Christ being our kinsman redeemer is not limited to his redeeming us from sin. That is a wonderful part of it, but that he is our redeemer means that he will always without fail be there for us. He does not save us to leave us. Whatever our need or crisis, the fact that we have a saving and personal relationship with Jesus Christ guarantees that he will meet our every need. End of quote. Isn't that a wonderful promise? He is our our kinsman redeemer. Boaz met the needs of Ruth. Uh, Whatever she needed, Boaz signed on for that. It wasn't many various aspects. Christ is our kinsman redeemer. So it's a a personal knowledge, and I trust you have that knowledge of the Savior. Secondly, a powerful knowledge. It is life-changing. I don't think that you can drink from the well of salvation and be the same. You cannot. It changes us. Again, Dr. Barrett, although Job does not call this advocate the Messiah, What Job expected the advocate to do is exactly what Christ does for his people. So Job did not know all we know from the New Testament. When he he said, my Redeemer, it's the same Redeemer that we have. I know my Redeemer liveth. Privileged knowledge, thoroughly, not only personal, powerful privilege. I know him. He knows me. In Psalm 139, 13, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. We just saw yesterday little, uh, little Colin Brooks, only a day out of the womb. God's greatest work, I think, a little baby. It is marvelous. He's got more hair than I have already on top of my head. And he's a cute little, and just, just a precious, it, babies are God's, just a special thing. I will praise him before I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance being yet unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which is in continuous, were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. He knows us. I don't know all that's going to happen, but what I do know, I like. Not only I know about a Redeemer, I know about a Returner. There's the promise. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. The disciples, we've been covering the disciples' trip from the upper room in 13 all the way now to the end of 19. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. They're going to be troubled. It says in Revelation 22, He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. The promise. Also, there is the power. 
And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. The rapture. Aren't you looking forward to the rapture of the church? The calling out of his people? Perhaps even today he will come for his church. Mentioned earlier. Behold, I, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. The trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. I believe he has to come for his saints before he can come with his saints at the battle of Armageddon to rule and to reign. So there is his his promise, his power. And not only power to rapture, but to reign. I, I saw in heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. That's who we're looking for. His promise is power, his performance. He's able to do what he's promised to do. Romans 4, 21. And being fully persuaded that he, what he hath promised, he was able to perform. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and the dominion endureth throughout all generations. We don't have to worry. That, is God going to fail in power? No, he's omnipotent, he's omnipresent, he's omniscient, he's all these things. We rely upon him for eternity, do we not? So, we know about a Redeemer, we know about a Returner, and we know about resurrection to our text back over here in Job chapter 19, if you would there, please. Job 19.25. Job 19.25. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. There's going to be a departure we're going to leave. Mary departed this life as it is now today. But I'm telling you, she's... The Bible says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. So she has, it's, it's the picture of, I don't know if you heard about this, but in the World War II, whenever an English pilot was lost in that battle for Britain in the air, they would say, posted to another location. And that's what happens to the believer. We've been posted to another location. Matter of fact, it's going to be with God with him eternally. And the military term was to take down the tent. We were lifted, or put the horse in the barn. We're done with that. We just go home to be with the Lord. That's what we're looking forward to. Now, to credit Job with a clear and conscious messianic understanding of a God-sent God-man is pretty much anachronistic, which means belonging to a period other than the one we're talking about. Job did not have all of this. He didn't, he didn't know what the twinkling of an eye. Did he even know about the church? No. But he knew about the Redeemer. That's what he did know. I know that my Redeemer liveth. Peter informs us that the prophets did not comprehend the full import of some of their own prophetic prophecies because much of the revelation of God was given to them not for their own contemporary people, but for down the road later on. Was Job a prophet? Well, James chapter 5 says these words. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord. The Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. The word prophets intend, and it seems that Job would be right along with the prophets. The first prophet, I believe, was Abel. First prophet. So from the very beginning of mankind, we've had prophets, if you would. I know about a resurrection, the departure, and there's the decomposition in 26. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. The body returns to the elements, as you well know, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 19. It doesn't mean that we were going to have any kind of a soul sleep. We believe that the act, death is actually a separation. When I die, my soul spirit 
will be leaving this body separate. The body will remain here if it's before the rapture, and my soul will be off winging its way to, as a you know, song about winging away to heaven or something like that. When you, the angels are going to come, at least one, I hope. Interestingly enough, my wife's been reading a book about a lady who works with hospice, and I think it's 73% of the people, believers, who before they go to heaven, one of their families comes to them and says, I'm coming for you tomorrow, or I'm coming for you, or something like that. And the, the nurse says, when the, when the person tells me that, she calls the family because they're going home soon. I think a lot of things happen that we just we don't know about because we've never done it. You know, it's not like you can die tomorrow and then come back the next day. Night we have it's a one time deal. And aren't you glad you only had to go through it one time? Can you imagine you as a loved one, your loved one passing, and then tomorrow the race, and then three days later they pass again, and see how that would. Do you know how God does everything well? And as it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this to judgment. We find then that Job is looking forward to being with his Savior. Job states the essence of the doctrine of the resurrection. He believes that even after he dies, he expects to see God. I expect to see the Savior, absolutely, He has a body, and I'm not sure I'll ever really see the Holy Spirit, and I'm not ever sure I'll really see God because He lives in light which no man can look into. I see God in the person of Jesus, but God the Father, I'm just not sure. And that's you can think about, He does dwell in light, but maybe we'll have eyes that can see into that. Something for you to think about, but we can't decide here now. That's that's not a cardinal stance, but it's interesting. We find that Job's looking forward to that. Did people in the Old Testament believe in the resurrection? How about Abraham? I and the lad are going to go, and we're going to come again. We're going to come back to you, Abraham. Genesis twenty-two. Moses found out in Exodus three. God said, "I am that I am. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am that I am." David believed in the resurrection. 16.10 16.10 of Psalms, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt, wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. 17.15 As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. I know about a resurrection, departure, decomposition, deliverer. Yet in my flesh shall I see God. The body shall live, be changed, and we shall be with God. The confidence of Job's spirit ebbs and flows. It ebbs, ebbs again here toward the end of the chapter, but he has had a wave of four verses of right at the top, if you would, the encouraging part. It's sort of like, this is the fourth ebb, if you will, ebb and flow, according to Dr. Talbert, the fourth ebb and flow of where he's been discouraged, and he sees a moment of, and gets discouraged again. By the way, before we throw Job under the proverbial bus, just think for a moment where he is and what he's suffering this time. And in closing, not only I know about a redeemer, I know about a returner, know about a resurrection, I know about a reunion in 27, whom I shall see of myself and my eyes shall behold and not another. It's a personal, whom I shall see of myself and mine eyes. Are you looking forward yourself to seeing God? We talk about all the time, I'm looking forward, and we are looking forward to seeing our parents, our, our friends, and family, and all those things. But I'm telling you, we should look forward to seeing our Savior. Was it Crosby who said, I long to see my Savior first of all? That should be our... I'm going to see Jesus. It's personal. It's also perpetual. 
and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And he says in 27, the rains be consumed within me. He's overwhelmed at the thought. We should be overwhelmed at the thought of what Christ has done for us. I don't know a lot, but what I know I like. What God has planned for us. Some years ago, there was a teacher who was assigned to visit children in a large city hospital, and she received a routine call to go to this certain student and visit him and, and teach him adverbs and verbs. Now, I'm sorry, nouns and adverbs. And so the teacher who was teaching at the, at the hospital, the student's teacher had called her, so she goes in. But what the teacher at the school had not told the lady at the hospital was the boy's in a burn unit. No one had prepared her for that. And so she felt that she, she just couldn't just turn around and walk away the first time she saw. So she awkwardly stammered to the boy who was so burned, I'm the hospital teacher, and your teacher sent me to help you with nouns and adverbs. And she left. The next morning she came back, and the nurse said, What did you do to that boy? And before she could finish her profusion of apologies, the nurse said, No, 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 you don't understand. We've been very worried about that little boy, but ever since you were here yesterday, his whole attitude has changed. He's fighting back, responding to treatment as although he's decided now to live. The boy later said to that lady who was teaching him, he said these words, he said, they couldn't send a teacher, or they wouldn't send a teacher to work on nouns and adverbs with a dying boy, would they? No. We are living in a dying world, going to the land of the living. Mary Book, just a few miles from here, left this place to go to her reward. May we be faithful until it's our turn to go. From the pit to the pinnacle. I don't know a lot, but what I know, I like. Trust you do too. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for this book of Job. It is a difficult book. It, we probably faced maybe things during this teaching time, preaching series of messages, perhaps uh, to help us to understand a little better. Just a smidgen. Nothing can. Uh, Job is his problems are monumentally far greater than most of us would ever even think of having. Lord, we're, we're glad you're, you're faithful, and I, Lord, my Redeemer lives, and that His Redeemer lives, and it's one and the same. So we serve a risen Savior. We are just so grateful for that. May we serve you this week in whatever you call us to do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.